In the business of government, including the courts, the primary export is service. When you don't make or sell things, the product is creating the most efficient way possible of accomplishing the people's business. And innovation is often the only way to make that product better. Allen Superior Court is home to one such innovation that has changed the face of commercial litigation in Indiana. I'm John McGauley, and today on In Session, I'm talking to Allen Superior Court Judge Craig Bobay about the commercial courts of Indiana. Judge Craig Bobay, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, John. I'm happy to be here. So let's start with the basics. To the layman, the concept of commercial courts may be as complex as some of the cases that wind up there. Give me your elevator speech on what the commercial courts are. Commercial court is a court with a specialized docket designed to handle disputes involving business relationships. The objectives of business courts or commercial courts are as follows. Cases are heard by judges who are uniquely experienced in business and commercial law and in handling business and commercial cases. Business and commercial cases move more expeditiously, reducing litigation costs for the parties and for the court system. Specialized dispute resolution programs and procedures are implemented in the commercial court. This promotes earlier and more frequent settlement of business and commercial disputes. Non-business cases, ones that that are not on my docket in the commercial court can move more expeditiously through the court by removing these complex, time-consuming business cases from the general court docket. An efficient court system is a more accessible system. When otherwise time-consuming and complex commercial cases are handled more efficiently, all the courts have more time for all types of cases. And from an economic development standpoint, by providing this service, Indiana remains competitive with other states who have commercial courts. We also intend and have begun to develop a body of case law that promotes consistency and increases guidance for parties and lawyers so that litigation risks can be informatively assessed. The things that we do in commercial court that are different from how other courts might handle these cases primarily focus on the enhancements we make in case managements. We involve the parties and counsel in developing and implementing an effective case management plan from the very beginning of the case. So we get involved in the case early on mm -hmm. rather than waiting till the case blows up and the folks come to the court for solutions. We are active in managing the case to get to the most efficient and quickest resolution that we can so that the people involved in the business case can get on with their primary focus, and that is their business. The court and the parties jointly anticipate problems before they arise in commercial courts. We also have the cases appear for periodic status conferences with the parties filing joint status reports to help promote efficient case processes. I make myself available at the drop of a hat for hearings on a short notice. If the parties have a problem that blows up and it's one that can often lead to a lot of expense and having the case go off the rails, they know that I'm available at a moment's notice to have a hearing and get the case back on course. Maybe a little bit going to where the idea came from. The, the commercial court concept started in Indiana as a pilot back in 2016. You were part of that pilot project. I, I might even go so far as to say let it, and perhaps the biggest proponent of the commercial court concept. What was the potential you saw at the time that made you want to bring a commercial court to Allen County? 
Well, before I answer that, I also have to give credit to the Supreme Court Chief Justice, Chief Justice Rush. She was very insistent that Indiana courts take a look at this concept, and we found out that about half of the states in the country did have a business or a commercial court. And so we thought it was high time for Indiana to get into this as well. So as far as bringing the concept to Allen County, business litigation can often be long, protracted, and expensive way for businesses to resolve their disputes. In reviewing these processes that are available to the courts and to the litigants and to the businesses in about half the states, I thought that Allen County businesses deserved a better, more efficient, more available, less expensive way to handle their cases. Now, there was a, an event recently in Indianapolis that shined a spotlight on the commercial courts, and the results so far seem remarkable to me. Almost 1,500 cases filed so far in Indiana's commercial courts. Is the concept catching on the way you hoped? Well, yes and no. And we are happy that about 1,500 cases have been filed in the commercial courts. Unsurprisingly, most of those are filed in Indianapolis in the Marion Circuit Courts. Mm -hmm. Unsurprisingly, most of those are filed in Indianapolis in the Marion Superior Court with Judge Heather Welch. Sixty-six percent of the cases filed statewide are with her. However, Allen County has the second highest utilization of the commercial courts, with about 17% of the cases statewide being filed on my docket. That leaves the other counties in the state having a total of 17% of the cases. At present, at any given time, I usually have about 40 or 50 open cases, and we really pay close attention to all the filings in the cases. They come to my attention immediately, and I take action on them quickly. Getting back to the, whether the concept is, is catching on the, the way that we had hoped, many local and statewide business attorneys are very happy and prefer to be in the commercial courts. However, we have some reluctance from lawyers who do not regularly practice in the commercial courts. Maybe they don't often have business clients and they're still somewhat reluctant or can be somewhat reluctant, I think because of fear of the unknown. Mm -hmm. Without knowing what commercial courts are like, they might want to stay away from it and just muddle through with the way that cases are handled in the various 92 other counties. So getting the word out, encouraging lawyers to get their cases in the commercial court to try to find out what it is all about generally results in a good outcome for them. They become more satisfied with the process, more comfortable with being in commercial court, and then we'll see them filing here again and again. So I think it's just a matter of time. Also, we recently expanded the commercial courts from the original six mm -hmm. to 10, and we have plans for even further expansion in 2023. Now, how does a case ultimately wind up in the commercial courts? Do the attorneys get to choose where it goes? Does the judge assign it there, suggest that it goes there? How does that work? It depends on the filing and where the attorneys choose to file. We have a set of rules that are geared just for the commercial court that say what cases are eligible for the commercial court. Primarily, those cases are ones involving disputes between businesses and also ones affecting the businesses as well. For instance, cases that involve the governance or dissolution of a business entity are prime ones for the commercial court. Also ones that involve disputes among the owners or shareholders of a business are ones that we often see in commercial court. Litigation involving trade secrets, non-disclosure agreements, 
non-competes, and other employment agreements are ones that are prime for the commercial court. And then disputes between or among two or more business entities or business individuals, oftentimes relating to contracts or transactions or other relationships, are ones that we often see in commercial court as well. So it's not only the initiating business that can choose commercial court, but additionally, if the case is originally filed in a non-commercial court, then the entity that is responding to the lawsuit, the company that's being sued, can also file a motion to have that case be transferred to the commercial court. During that recent discussion in Indianapolis that we talked about earlier, it was noted that not enough attorneys know about the commercial courts and that others are perhaps hesitant to go the commercial court route when filing a case. What's the most important thing that practitioners should know when making that decision on where to file? Well, their cases will get prompt attention when they file in the commercial court. And we look at what the case is about. We have an early discussion about how we can move it forward towards a resolution. And we have right-sized, hands-on case management that's appropriate to the nature of the dispute. We also have specific resources to get to that prompt resolution that are available. And we have judges that are interested in handling these cases. We have unique resources that are available to the judge in the commercial courts. Again, a key component is a judge that wants to hear these cases. A judge that's developed expertise, has experience with these cases, really helps to move the case through the litigation process. We have a unique set of rules that I mentioned already that give us additional tools to help us move the cases. We have on the Indiana Supreme Court's website, available at the commercial court page, a handbook that's 160 pages that explains how to handle your case in commercial court, what to expect, including 60 pages of forms that make it a lot easier for the lawyers to be able to be prepared for and understand what to expect. We're about to publish a 120-page commercial court treatise that will be available, we expect, to everyone, to business owners, to business litigators, to non-commercial court judges, and to the public that will be a summary of all the law in Indiana that impacts commercial litigation. This has never been done before. This is the first time all these statutes and all the case law will be put together in one volume. And I think it's going to be very successful, very popular. And from the lawyers that we've talked to about it, they're very much looking forward to this. It should be a help for everyone that's involved in business cases and for business owners. Another thing that we have that's available to us through the efforts of the Supreme Court and through their budget are law clerks. We have attorneys who have graduated from law school that assist the commercial court judges in doing the research and preparing the orders so that we can timely respond to the motions. Oftentimes, this might involve reviewing hundreds, if not thousands, of pages of filings. And of course, with everything else that the judge does, being able to have the time to get through all that can be very demanding. So if we have another set of educated eyes and ears to be able to discuss the case with the law clerk, we can get those orders out in a more quick manner and we can be more accurate and we're able to explain our reasoning for our decisions rather than simply saying, 
your motion is denied or your motion is granted. The orders that I issue in commercial court explaining my decisions are typically anywhere from about 15 to 25 pages. Usually these cases are very complex and involve a lot of different aspects. And so taking the time to address all these arguments that apply, some good, some not so good, some very close calls, but taking the time to explain that really helps the lawyers and helps the parties, helps the business owners, helps the people involved in litigation understand the reason for the court's decision. And that understanding, I think, goes a long way in helping those folks to accept the outcome and to move on with their lives, with their business, and getting back to what they do best. Most folks don't like being in court, and if they have the opportunity to get the resolution of their case quickly, like it or not, with regard to the result, they can move on and get on with their life mm -hmm. and get back to whatever it is that they should otherwise be doing. You mentioned some of the added resources that the commercial court program has available, resources that have been brought right here to the county. One of those is that law clerk that you mentioned, and the Supreme Court has made it easy. They've handed us funding to finance that position, and those law clerk opportunities are, are few and far between. Talk about the benefit, not just to the program, but to the, the maybe the newly graduated attorney or law student who, who comes in here who really needs that opportunity to grow and get better at their craft before they go out into the world. That's a great question, John. In fact, I started off as a law clerk in my legal career. I had the benefit of being a law clerk to Judge Bill Lee of the Northern District of Indiana in the federal system. And it was a great way to start my career. You get to see how different judges handle their cases, how they handle attorneys, how they conduct themselves, their interaction with staff. And, you know, judges have a leadership role in our community. And being able to see as a new lawyer, as a young person, how the inner workings of the court actually come down really helps to provide guidance for their career. I think it's a community service that we have these law clerks, these young people, where we can help to develop them as leaders for our community in the future. It's a great benefit for them. It's a great benefit for us. And the lawyers know as well that after a few years of experience as a law clerk, that if counsel is looking to expand and hire new associates in their offices, that the law clerks make great new attorneys for their law firms. You've had some amazing success stories just from the law clerks that have worked here for you in the civil division, in Allen Superior Court, people in the legal community at all levels, in, including one fairly recent law clerk who's now a magistrate in our court. That's right. I think at one time about half of all the judicial officers in Allen County had been law clerks when they started out uh, with their profession. And I, I think that just speaks again to the benefit to the community and having these young people start by helping the court, starting out in their career, and understanding the importance that the courts play in our system of government. And then they find out that they love that and they want to get on with their career and maybe someday filter back to us. We talked earlier about what you would want to tell attorneys who are maybe hesitant to file in the commercial courts about the potential benefit of coming here. What have you heard from attorneys who've taken cases through the commercial court about the experience and why perhaps they were glad that they took this route and the benefit to them and their clients? 
Well, I see the same firms filing over and over again in the commercial court on my docket, and I think that underscores the fact that they see a benefit, and they see a benefit for their clients. They like the fact that they get prompt attention, that we're always available to handle issues are inevitable and coming up sometimes with some of these very complex cases. They like the fact that they have someone with developed expertise that have seen these issues repeatedly. Oftentimes, judges with a general jurisdiction docket might see a complex litigation case every other year. Mm -hmm. But when I see, oh, at any given time, I have 40 or 50 active commercial court cases, when I see these being filed on a regular basis, and the issues tend to be a little bit repetitive, often with nuance uh, given for any particular situation, It's not me starting from scratch and doing my legal research. I know what the cases are. I know what the statutes are that apply. And so it helps us to get to the resolution quicker. A huge benefit of being in commercial court as well is our emphasis on early mediation. And we're always talking about how we can resolve the case without the expense of going through trial. I usually get my commercial court cases to a resolution within a year. And these are cases that oftentimes in the past, and when they're on the docket of someone that does not have a regular diet of commercial cases, might take four or five years, and the expenses just get out of control. Judge, we've talked a lot about the concept of commercial court cases and the complexity involved. Can you talk about a couple of examples of real-world cases that have been through that maybe illustrate it even better? I had a case last year, John, that involved investment of about $1.5 million in a hotel chain development that was in between friends. And then there became a dispute about whether the investor wanted to continue because the operation was going in a different direction from where he thought that originally that this hotel operation was going to be had in. And so he wanted out. And them still wanting to be friends, they met and they scratched out without the advice of attorneys, without the accountants, a three-paragraph agreement that included about, I'm looking at it now, 12 sentences <laughs> that called for 48 monthly payments of roughly $33,000 per month to resolve this dispute to let the new investor get out. Well, they both had agreed to that. At some point after that process, one of the two parties decided that they didn't like that agreement any longer. And so one of the parties filed the suit to enforce that agreement. And the other side had some legal arguments that they believed would prove that the agreement was not enforceable. We had good lawyers on the case. They filed it in commercial court knowing that their case would get prompt attention. I got them in quickly after the case was filed. And they agreed that this was a decision for the court to make, Mm -hmm. not for a jury, about whether this contract was actually a contract and was actually enforceable. They did a very limited amount of discovery, and within 90 days of that case being filed, they both had filed their motions for summary judgment. I held a prompt hearing. In addition to reading their briefing, I heard their arguments, and within, I think it was 25 days after that hearing, I issued a 15-page opinion that dealt with all their arguments and found that that agreement was enforceable. So that case, in the hands of some judges that don't see these cases often, that could have dragged on for two, three, four years. It involved a lot of money. There was a lot of arguments to be made. 
We had that case resolved within just months of it being filed. Now, one party, obviously, as with all court cases, was extremely happy with the outcome, but they knew that they had an enforceable agreement and they could move on with their life mm-hmm. with that agreement making those payments or accepting those payments, whichever part that they wanted to hear. They knew that they had that agreement, that it was enforceable and they could move on and not spend upwards 100000 or more on attorney's fees fighting that case over a period of years. I had another case a couple years ago where a software development company had invested years and millions of dollars in bringing out a, a new type of software for a specific industry. And just a, a month or so before this new software was to hit the market, one of the employees who was one of only a handful that was involved in the development of the software jumped ship and went to a competitor. As it turns out, that competitor was able to then quickly develop almost the exact same software. And the company that had made all this investment then filed a lawsuit because the employee that jumped ship had signed a non-compete, non-disclosure, non-solicitation of clients agreements as part of his employment with the original employer. So obviously having that competing software out there after years and millions of dollars of investment was harmful to his former employer. Well that case got to me on the commercial court docket by agreement of the attorneys and we had again some really brief discovery where they conducted depositions of some of the key people involved and then I set the case for a preliminary injunction hearing which took a day and a half that was set within 60 days of the filing of the case. I heard all the evidence and I found that the issuance of a preliminary injunction was necessary to prevent harm to the company that had invested all this money. So in my order that I issued again within 30 days of the hearing, I ordered that the former employee and his new employer were enjoined from or prohibited from directly or indirectly using that confidential information and proprietary trade secret information to compete against the original employer. And I prohibited them from directly or indirectly communicating with or solicitating any of the original employer's clients or potential clients that they had relationships with. I prohibited them from marketing or selling their new product and ordered that in no way was the former employer to be able to directly or indirectly work for the new employer as this matter went on. Now that was a preliminary injunction issued again within a really short time of this coming to the attention of the original employer and it helped to stop the bleeding. A preliminary injunction is just that. It preliminarily orders people to stop doing something. Usually in the business world, it's to stop stealing trade secrets or stop working for someone that used to be a competitor when you had a non-compete. Then the matter after that, it can go on for a regular course of litigation with more discovery, eventually a trial. But most of the litigators in in the commercial court, in the business world, No, well, if the court ruled this way already, the chances of that judge changing her mind or his mind if the case gets to trial are generally pretty slim. So the issuance of a prompt, well-reasoned preliminary injunction almost always leads to an agreed resolution, a settlement agreement between the parties that usually is not far off from that preliminary injunction order. 
How long did it take for you to rule on that versus how long they might have been in the courts had they gone another route? Again, these complex cases, they usually last years. Mm -hmm. Two, three years is probably the norm, mm -hmm. um, sometimes six and eight years. So we were able to get this done from start until they signed the final mm -hmm. agreement, the settlement agreement, and filed the dismissal of the case. All of that took place in about seven months. Expanding a little bit on that last question, the issue of employment non-competes is, is really interesting. You, know, you get people in technical fields, medical fields, even in news media. In their employment contracts, they have non-competes that say you can't work in some form or fashion in the same market you're in for X period of time. How often do those non-compete agreements come up in commercial court? Unfortunately, we see disputes about non-competes pretty regularly. And uh, again, that sort of litigation can be the kind of litigation that can drag on and on. But usually, the employer and the employee need a quick resolution of that so that the employee, if he cannot continue to be involved in that particular business, can go out and get a job in a different field and provide for her family. And then also, the employer needs to know if the non-compete is enforceable, that the interest that they originally tried to protect is in fact protectable, and that information then will not get out to the competitors. So in Indiana, reasonable non-compete agreements are generally enforceable. Our law says that in order for a non-competition agreement to be enforceable, it has to be reasonable. And interestingly, the determination of whether that contract is reasonable is what we call a question of law. That means that it's a question for the judge, not the jury to determine. So the commercial courts are a really great forum for making that determination. In arguing whether the restrictive covenant, that's another word for the non-compete agreement, is reasonable, the employer has to first show that that employer has a legitimate interest that it has to have protected by the agreement. And then the employer, again, has the burden to show that the agreement is reasonable in scope as to the length of time that the employee is prohibited from engaging in that particular profession. It has to be reasonable in scope as to the activities that the employee is no longer able to engage in. And also, it has to be reasonable as to the geographic area that's restricted. As to the geographic area, for instance, if an employer has a non-compete with an employee and that employer only sells its products in Indiana, no other business outside of the state, and the employee leaves em employment and then, then goes to work for a competitor in Tennessee who has no business in Indiana, does not try to sell in Indiana, is strictly limited, we'll say, to Tennessee, then that non-compete, if it prohibited that employee from working anywhere in the country, that would be unreasonable as to the geographic area, and it would not be enforceable then. As to the scope of the time, the non-compete has to be reasonable with regard to how long that former employee is no longer able to work for a competitor of the prior employers. For instance, a 10-year non-compete in just about any imaginable situation is now largely determined flat out to be not enforceable. The shorter the length of time, the more likely it is that that length of time will be determined by the court to be reasonable. Indiana law is pretty vague on this. Lots of other states have more developed case law, but usually 
if the non-compete is for no more than a year, that's a pretty good indication that maybe that might be a reasonable length of time. Mm -hmm. If it goes beyond a year, if it's two or three years, you start to get on the edges of reasonableness. And a big concept here has to do with the amount of time that the former employee, employer rather, will have to be able to train and get a new employee up to handle that former employee's customers. So if it takes, for instance, six months to get that new employee trained and then another year or so to become familiar with the clients, then a year and a half would be a reasonable amount of time. Two years would probably be reasonable too. But if it's much longer than that, then the whole non-compete agreement may be deemed to be unenforceable because it's not reasonable with regard to the amount of time. And then the activities also. If the employer and employee had a non-compete and it prohibited the employee in, after uh, she leaves the company from doing a job that was totally unrelated to the activities that that employee had for the former employer, then that would be unreasonable as to the activities that are restricted in the agreement. So if, if uh, the employee was involved in management and the agreement prohibited that employee from working in any manner with a competitive entity, then maybe that agreement might not be enforceable if, say, for instance, mm -hmm. that former employee took a job with a competitor in a totally different line of work for that new employer. That's part of the concept that we've been talking about that a lot of folks in technical and very specialized fields will probably find pretty interesting. <laughs> I had a commercial case, John, that involved a local doctor that worked for one of the big local hospitals, and he had a non-compete agreement, left that hospital system, and then went to work for an independent organization. And the argument was on behalf of the doctor in trying to argue that the non-compete was unreasonable, was that restricting doctors was flat out unreasonable because of the need that the public has for people in the medical profession. Well, we didn't have any case law that said that. And so I upheld and found that that agreement that that hospital had with that physician was enforceable. Well, uh, this case got some attention in the local media. There were some folks thinking that the doctor had some pretty good arguments, and I'm not disagreeing with that, but I, at the time, Indiana law did not have any specific provisions with regard to non-competes for physicians. Subsequent to that, the Indiana legislature got involved and limited the ability of hospitals and other employers of physicians to be able to have non-competes for their employee doctors. The commercial courts offer a tremendous amount of transparency as well. You can get at a lot of the materials that the judges use to manage their docket. There's, there's web resources, lots of ways that people can look in and see the results of the court and see what they need to know if they're interested. The Indiana Supreme Court website has lots of that information available, John. You can simply Google Indiana Commercial Courts and it will pop you up to that website. There's also on.in.gov slash CCC, that's the Commercial Courts Committee, and it has access to the Commercial Court Handbook, the resource guide that we were talking about on how to manage complex cases. It has the sample forms that we discussed. It also has a search engine for substantive commercial court orders, those orders that mm -hmm. I and the other judges in the commercial court have issued in our cases. It's readily available. It's easy to use. 
So if a business or an attorney wants to see how the court mm -hmm. is likely to rule on their issue to give them some guidance on how they might want to look at potential litigation or how to avoid potential litigation, those resources are there. You can look up to see how Judge Welch has ruled on the case, mm -hmm. how I've ruled on a similar case. So that consistency is a very important factor. And now being able to search that and see that online on these trial court decisions is just very, very valuable for that purpose. The commercial court rules are there. And coming soon is that commercial court law treatise that I mentioned that will have a great in-depth discussion about all the law in Indiana that governs businesses. Perhaps also another good resource for attorneys considering whether this is the route they want to take. Exactly. Let's wrap it up with a look out toward the future. I think it's safe to say that the commercial courts in Indiana are here to stay. The number of counties has almost doubled. You mentioned that there are more to come. Where do you think the concept goes from here? We're taking a serious look at having commercial court judges available throughout the state, whether that's on a county-by-county -county basis or a regional basis. We have to work that out yet. But the lawyers, the businesses really want this to happen and not just have it available in a few counties like we have presently. So I think that within the next year or two, we're going to see a further expansion of this. Having judges that are experts, that have the education, that are willing to handle these cases, that know how to manage the cases, not let them get bogged down, not let the costs get out of hand, all of those are requirements to handle a business dispute in an efficient manner. Getting the resolution quickly and accurately is a benefit for all businesses in Indiana. And helping businesses to be able to focus on producing the service or widget that they produce is really what business is about. Being bogged down in the court system does no one any good except for the attorneys. And the attorneys that handle these cases are good attorneys. They're not running out of work anytime soon. We talked at the beginning of the podcast about the primary export of government being service and that the only way to make that better is innovation, and you've clearly accomplished that, getting the people's business done a lot more quickly and a lot less impact to them. Judge Bobe, thanks for being on the program. Thank you. This has been In Session, an inside look at the Allen County, Indiana courts. You can find out more on this topic and others at allensuperiorcourt.us. Thanks for listening. The next episode's coming right up.